Proverbs chapter 8. Today we'll look at the first 21 verses. Does not wisdom call, and understanding lift up her voice on top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet? She takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you men, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction, and not silver, knowledge rather than choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield better than choicest silver." I walk in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice, to endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. And again, if you would turn with me to the book of Proverbs, get your fingers loose as we'll be flipping uh, to several Proverbs this morning. Several years ago, I was hired essentially as the manager of a business that I had no experience in. It's a nice way of saying I didn't have a clue what I was doing. The man who hired me was a Christian brother, loved me, wanted to give me a job, felt that I had some people skills and was a decent communicator, and he kind of wanted to kick back and enjoy the fruits of his many years of hard work. And so before long, I was handed several responsibilities, such as recruiting new talent, scheduling, keeping clients happy, all sorts of things. And at first, I was flattered. I enjoyed the challenge. But after a while, it became painfully obvious that I lacked the expertise and the skills to manage this business, and the business was not prospering. And after months of that, I trudged through each day feeling overwhelmed, feeling like a failure, desperately wishing that my boss would take back the management of this business. Do you ever have days like that where all of life feels like that? Where you've made the mistake of flattering yourself that you have the wisdom, you have the skill to manage your life, and you can muscle your way through whatever challenge comes. And then reality has a brutal way of destroying that delusion. And you end up feeling overwhelmed, stressed out, defeated, 
What if there was someone completely competent that you could hand over management of your life to? Wouldn't that be a relief? Well, the good news of Proverbs is there is that someone, and He is God. And today we're going to look at living wisely under God's reign. Or we could also title this, Prospering Peacefully Under God's Management. Now many of you this spring did a book study by Jerry Bridges, Trusting God. And our brother Luke on Wednesday night just taught from the confession on God's providence. And I was wondering about his providence as I was already planning this message There's probably going to be some repetition. I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Because Proverbs has several helpful truths and several practical applications for living in light of God's sovereignty, and we need to hear it again. And trusting God's good and wise reign is also going to be foundational for some topics we're going to look at in the coming weeks. Topics like work ethic and relationships, and pride, and anger, and speech. So some of the aspects that I really wanted to cover today, I'm going to have to postpone, and we'll we'll touch on those as we come to these other topics. Things like pride, and, and how it affects the fear of man, or anger, and how it affects the desire for revenge in light of God's sovereignty. But we'll put those off. I only have two points today. Don't get your hopes up that it's a short sermon, but I only have two points. They're drawn from the discussion a few weeks ago of the fear of the Lord. Remember, true wisdom, ultimately, foundationally, is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, as we saw, let me remind you, because you've slept a few times since then, the fear of the Lord is a right response of humility and obedience to revelation from God leading to an intimate relationship. So, first we're going to look at the revelation in Proverbs, the truth of God's reign over our lives, and then we're going to look at responding wisely to God's reign over our lives. So first, the truth of God's reign over our lives, and we're going to look at Four areas that that Proverbs highlights. There are others, but just four. God reigns over our steps, over our speech, over our slips, and over what seems like chance. God reigns over our steps. Let's start out in Proverbs 16, verse 9, and we'll be coming back to Proverbs 16 more than once. But Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs boldly declares, without apology, that God governs every detail of our lives. Notice, He doesn't just determine the path, He directs every step. Luke's been leading us through the confession as our early Baptist forefathers wrestled with this mystery, and we still wrestle with it. God accomplishing His predetermined plan through free agents. A God who can't accomplish His good and wise purpose isn't God. And man without real choice and meaningful responsibility is only a machine. So the Bible declares both. We do what we want and... We do God's perfect will. 
We make plans. God governs each step toward His intended goal. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, please, don't hear this as a prohibition against planning. That would be a wrong application of this verse. But rather, it is meant as a comfort for God's people. This is not an impersonal God mechanically working out some cold plan like a math equation. Okay? Don't see it that way. This is not the general word for God. This is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. This is the God, if you are a Christian, this is the God who chose you to be His, who made a covenant pledge to be your God and to do you good and sacrificed His Son that that would happen. That God directs your steps. Onesimus, the slave, did just what he wanted to do in fleeing from his master, Philemon. God directed his steps straight into the Apostle Paul's cell, it seems, where he could hear the gospel and be saved. David was just being a good son, obeying his dad, taking food and provisions to his brothers. God was directing his steps straight into a showdown with Goliath. We plan our way, the Lord directs our steps. This truth that God governs every step is especially comforting when the path doesn't lead where expected. Moses thought he was fulfilling God's calling by starting a revolt. He ended up tending sheep in the desert for 40 years. Moses made plans, the Lord directed his steps. When I was a missionary in Zambia, pretty much Nothing went the way I thought it would or should. And during that season, my favorite hymn became Fanny Crosby's hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Especially the second stanza. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread. Any of you ever tread a winding path? Gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul athirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Again, Proverbs 16.9 is not against planning. It's a word of comfort to weary pilgrims. It is hope for the confused saint when the path is much longer or much harder than they expected. And it is a word of warning to proud planners, and we'll get into that some more later. Not only does God reign over our steps, but also He reigns over our speech. Let's go from verse 9 back to verse 1 of Proverbs 16. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Hmm. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We're going to look at depth, in depth at our speech in a few weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But this proverb basically says we can plan what to say, but God is sovereign even over what comes out of our mouth. Most of us have experienced that. Some of us have experienced that negatively, right? You've been in a conversation and blurted something out and, oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean to say it that way. 
And some of us have experienced this positively, a friend who comes for advice or, or we're in a witnessing discussion and we're not sure what to say and all of a sudden we find wisdom not our own flowing from our lips. Well, in verse 9, neglect, neglecting to plan ahead would be a wrong application. It would be a wrong application of verse 1 to say, hey, God's sovereign, so I don't have to be careful what I say. Wrong. Proverbs has more warnings against careless and destructive speech than just about any other topic in the whole book. So this is not an excuse for careless speech. Rather, again, it is a comfort to God's people who do a lot of talking in a wicked world. What do we say when we're surrounded by those hostile to God and His Word and His people? In Luke 21, Jesus warned His disciples, we would be hated by all because of Him. And in verses 14 and 15, He tells them not to worry about what they say. And He promises that they'll be given words and wisdom that none can refute. Those of you who've gone evangelizing on the campus or at the abortion clinic, you've felt this, haven't you? In fact, Paul asked the Ephesian church to pray just for this in chapter 6. He said, pray that I'll be given both the courage and skillful, pre- and skillful speech to proclaim the gospel as I ought. And there is the right application of 16.1. Not only is it comfort, it calls us to dependence. Don't just spout with your speech. When you feel the temperature rising, that conflict escalating in the home, do you pause and pray that the Lord would answer your spouse through you? When a friend comes to you for advice, do you pause and pray that the Lord would give a helpful answer through you? When you feel your boss is being unreasonable, do you pause and pray that the Lord would give a humble answer through you? When that person who is supposed to be helping you at the Kroger self-checkout is rude, do you pause and pray that the Lord would give a kind response through you before you return fire? That's just a hypothetical example, okay? Didn't happen in Christiansburg a couple of weeks ago. Mm -mm. It is both sobering and comforting Please don't talk to my wife after the service, okay, and ask her about that. It is both sobering and comforting that God is sovereign over our steps and over our speech. Here's another comforting one. God reigns over our slips. And by that I mean our mistakes. Go with me to Proverbs 19, verse 21. Proverbs 19, 21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Many plans, and here I'm putting the emphasis where I think it is, on many, many plans. And that word plans is also translated thoughts. Many thoughts, many imaginations are in the heart of man. How concrete is a mere thought? Can you bank on a mere idea? 
I hope not. Man has lots of big ideas. And there's a clear contrast here between man's plans and the Lord's purpose. Our plans are plural, and they are uncertain. The Lord's counsel is singular and certain. We have so many uncertain plans, God has one certain purpose. How many plans have you made that never worked out? But there is one plan that never fails, and that is God's good and wise purpose for you if you are His child. Even when we try to plan against Him, God's good will always wins. What a comfort when circumstances are confusing, when we're not sure, do I do plan A or do I do plan B? Or when we look back at a decision and we feel like, you know what, I really should have gone right instead of left in that decision. The good news is there's no confusion or uncertainty in heaven. God's not sitting on the throne wringing His hand saying, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Now how are we going to fix this? remember when I got a job as a truck driver in West Virginia, and I was driving for a company that was servicing natural gas wells. Fracking was the only booming industry in West Virginia at that time. I had the prospect of making more money than I had ever made in my life, and I was kind of excited about that. I was going to more than double my previous salary. And so the day I went in and was interviewed and immediately hired, I went home and boasted to Joyce, Honey, our days of worrying about money are over. (laughs) Shortly after I was hired, the company cut all the bonuses. A few months later, they started cutting hours. And less than a year later, OPEC slashed their oil prices. The expensive fracking industry couldn't compete. Many of the wells were capped. The work slowed down before I could even pay off my debt for truck driving school. And for completely different reasons, we had already started the process of moving here. And the week after we moved into a rent house just a couple of miles down Mud Pike, the company I had been driving for completely dissolved. I had big plans. God was working out His plan. Now, most of us probably won't have the satisfaction of seeing so quickly or so clearly what God is doing. What do we do? We study God's revealed counsel, so we understand His ways. We apply His ways and His Word as best we can, making life decisions, and we take comfort that even if we get it wrong, we can't derail God's purpose for us. So God reigns over our steps and over our speech. He reigns over our uncertain plans and even our mistakes. And in a similar vein, God reigns over so-called chance. Let's go back to 16 again, Proverbs 16, verse 33, the last verse in Proverbs 16. The lot is cast into the, lamp, uh, into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, you may remember the lots from from the Old Testament. The lot was used at times to determine God's will or to make a decision. For example, that's how they divided up the land of Canaan between the tribes. 
It was sort of like drawing straws or flipping a coin, and you trusted that God was in control of the answer. When was the last time lots were used in the Bible? When the apostles had to choose a replacement for Judas. Now we have the completed Scriptures. Now we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is sufficient guidance. It would be a wrong application to flip a coin to decide who you're going to marry. Okay? All right, here we go. Heads, I married John. Oh, his tail. It would be a wrong application to roll dice to decide what career, okay? All right, if it's fives, I'm a plumber. If it's sixes, I'm a teacher. Ah, oh, okay. No, again, we study the Word. We apply the decision. We apply God's Word as best we can to the decision. We seek wise counsel, and we ask the Spirit to guide. But you know, here's a comfort. Israel was not the only one who used lots. Pagans used lots too. And God rules over what they would call chance. The pagan sailors used lots to expose Jonah as the cause of the storm. In the book of Esther, wicked Haman used lots to choose what day he would kill all the Jews. But Proverbs declares that God, not chance, gets to decide that. There's no such thing as luck. It wasn't chance that the Ishmaelite traders came by on their way to Egypt just as Joseph's brothers are figuring out how to best kill him. It wasn't luck that Moses' floating basket got caught in the reeds just at the moment Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile. Now, I know you might be a little skeptical. Well, (laughs) I'm no Moses, okay? I'm no Joseph. I'm not that important in God's plan. Have you noticed how many birds there are out there? And Jesus said not one of them dies apart from God's plan. And we heard Jesus say earlier, you're more important than birds. Or, I challenge you to go home this afternoon, look in the mirror, and start counting the hairs on your head. Now, I realize for some of you that's going to be a shorter process than others. But for some of you, it's going to be a very late night, okay, counting those hairs. And and if you do get some sleep, please get up in the morning and do it again. How many hairs did you lose overnight? God knows. God knows. And He planned it. That truck in front of you going 10 miles under the speed limit on a curvy road when you're in a hurry to get somewhere. Again, just a random example didn't happen Friday morning. That's not a random accident. That water pipe in your upstairs bathroom that bursts, suddenly creating a new water feature in your kitchen, causing a huge mess and costly damage, that's not random choice. Wouldn't it be nice to actually walk in the daily peace of that reality? What are we going to do? Are we going to fret? Are we going to fume? Or are we going to take a deep breath and say, Okay, God, (laughs) this is from you. So Proverbs declares God's sovereignty over our steps, 
over our speech, over our many plans, even the mistaken ones. In fact, there's not a random occurrence in our life. Now, true wisdom, remember, is not just knowing this fact, not just nodding our head and saying, yep, that's right. It's responding rightly to this truth. So Proverbs not only declares these truths, it gives us some guidance in how to respond rightly. Responding wisely to God's reign. We're going to look at five, just five ways. Number one, don't pretend you're in charge. Just quit pretending that you're in charge. Proverbs 20, verse 24. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? How then can man understand his way? And I think the emphasis here is on his. In fact, the King James and the NIV highlight that emphasis. They translate it his own way, as did many commentaries I consulted. You see, that's the problem. We act like it's our own way. We live in the illusion sometimes that we're in charge. Stop pretending that you decide right and wrong. If you choose a path in contradiction to God's commands, it's not leading to the satisfaction you want. It's going to lead only to discipline if you're God's child and eternal judgment if you're not. Your life path is not yours. It belongs to God. And you better know His Word so that you know how to walk it. And stop pretending that you command your destiny Do you know how much stress that creates on us? Right? We we have this plan how life is going to go. But deep down we know we're not omniscient and we're not omnipotent. I can't really be certain this is the right path and I can't guarantee it's going to succeed. So what do I do? I worry and I fret. And I try to manipulate people or situations to accomplish my plan. Do you want to be wise? Stop pretending you're in charge. Second, don't try to outsmart God. Let's go to the end of Proverbs 21, verses 30 and 31. There is no wisdom and no understanding, and no counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Verse 30, human wisdom is no match for God. Verse 31, human strength and strategy is no match for God. As one commentator put it so well, don't try to fight against God, and don't try to fight without God. Did you notice the triple negative in verse 30? No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel against the Lord. You can't outsmart Him. You can't outmaneuver Him. God is unbeatable. You are nowhere near as ancient, as cunning, or as powerful as Satan. And He is absolutely powerless in all of His thousands of years of effort to defeat God. All the combined scheming, and power of Satan, and the Sanhedrin, and the Roman government couldn't stop Jesus Christ. So no matter how much the media, 
or educators or politicians praise you for defying God, you are not clever. You're a fool. Is there an area of your life, Christian, is there an area of your life where you know clearly what God commands, but you've decided you're smarter than God on this? You've reasoned out all the, all the reasons why your case is an exception to His Word. All your cleverness will crumble on Judgment Day, if not before. If you want to be wise, repent and obey now. Verse 30, it is foolish to defy God. Verse 31, it is foolish to disregard God. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. Victory belongs to the Lord. Trained cavalry were rare in Solomon's day. They were vastly superior to foot soldiers. But superior size and weapons don't guarantee victory. Again, God's not forbidding preparation for battle. He's warning against relying on strength or strategy and dismissing him as irrelevant. Pharaoh made that mistake, chasing down a bunch of untrained slaves in the desert with the most powerful army in the world. Again, is there an area of life where you have an unhealthy reliance on human ability or human ingenuity to accomplish what you want? And it's exposing a lack of humble dependence on God. If you want to live wisely under God's reign, you won't try to outsmart Him, and you won't try to win without Him. A third piece of counsel from Proverbs, and this is going to be painful, don't procrastinate. Any procrastinators in here? Don't raise your hand. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Proverbs 27, 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Don't boast about tomorrow. That word boast is the same word praise in the next verse. Let another praise you. So in other words, don't praise yourself, don't pat yourself on the back for what you plan to do tomorrow. That is premature and presumptuous since you have no guarantee you get tomorrow. This verse rebukes the arrogance that assumes tomorrow. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the rich man? Right, he had such a bumper crop His silos couldn't hold all the grain. He is set for the rest of his life. He's going to expand his operation, kick back, enjoy his prosperity. He has all these plans, zero thought of God, and God says, you're a fool. Your time is up tonight. Jonathan Edwards preached a whole sermon from this verse on the sin of procrastination. The sinful pride of putting off obedience because we presume we have tomorrow. Remember, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord in the new covenant manifests in faith in Christ. So let me talk to those this morning who have not yet put their faith in Christ. If you are not turning from your sin now, if you are not 
trusting in Christ now and His work to save you from the Father's wrath. You need to repent and believe now. Don't pat yourself on the back because you intend to do it soon. Well, I'll I'll do it when I'm a little older. Well, I'll do it after I've enjoyed sin just a little longer. You may close your eyes tonight and wake up in eternity. And there is no greater tragedy than to miss heaven and spend eternity in hell because you presumed you had tomorrow. Turn now and trust Christ. And for those of you who are Christians, you don't have the guarantee of tomorrow. What repentance are you putting off? What obedience are you putting off? What responsibility should be done today? Or think about this. What enjoyment are you missing today because of something you're hoping is going to happen tomorrow? Right? Do we ever do that? Well, I'll be happy when I graduate. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I get that better paying or more fulfilling job. I'll be happy when. You don't know if that day is coming. Enjoy God now. Enjoy the life He's given today. Our days are numbered. If we want to live wisely under God's reign, don't proudly presume we have tomorrow. And that leads to the fourth application from Proverbs. If you don't have tomorrow, why are you worrying about it? Stop worrying. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your works to the Lord. Literally, roll onto the Lord your works, your plans. What a helpful image. Here's Proverbs again talking about all our plans. And God tells us to roll our plans onto Him. Here, Lord, here's my plans. You carry them. You manage them. You know what's best. Do you see the weight that removes off of us? When I was a child, it was a four-hour drive from our home in Missouri to our grandparents in Kansas. That seemed like a really long trip as a child. Do you know what? I didn't worry about what route to take. I didn't worry about the traffic in Kansas City. I didn't worry about where we were going to get gas. I didn't worry about changing a flat tire in a snowstorm like my dad did. Those were all dad's concerns, not mine. My concern was, how am I going to enjoy this trip? God knows the destination, and He knows all the details between here and there. You don't need to worry. Roll, commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now, please, please, don't take the second part of that verse as a blanket promise. If you just pray about a plan, God's going to make it happen. Remember, the Proverbs are general principles, not blanket promises. And this is a general principle. If, if you have planned according to the clear principles and commands of God's Word, if you have sought His guidance... If you have submitted your plan to His sovereignty, you have a much better chance that He's going to prosper your plan. 
than if you just proudly plow ahead with what you think is right and what you want done. And if your plan doesn't come to pass, well, you've already humbled your heart before God and you're okay with His better plan. There's another helpful way to understand that second phrase. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. We've already seen that word plans as literally thoughts. Your thoughts will be established. That word also means put in order. Your thoughts will be ordered. I don't know about you, but when I'm planning something that's really, really important to me, it has a tendency to affect my sleep. All right, I'm thinking on it. I'm stewing on it. I'm laying awake. It can even consume my thoughts during the day, make it hard to focus. Proverbs says, roll that plan on to God and your thoughts will be ordered. Your mind will be calmed. Your thoughts will be settled. You'll worry less, sleep better. You'll be able to focus on your daily responsibilities. What a blessing, right? Roll it on to God. Those who are wise enjoy less stress as they submit their plans to God's management. And then we have a fifth and final piece of counsel from Proverbs. Rightly responding to God's reign in our lives. Go with me back to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, some of the most well-known verses in Proverbs. If God is sovereign over every area of life, then God gets the final say in every area of life. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. God gets our entire trust. Trust Him with all your heart. The heart is the inner being, right? The place of your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, your priorities, your choices. Trust God in all of those. And He gets our exclusive trust. Don't lean on your own understanding. Why? Because the Bible warns us there's something wrong with our understanding. Ephesians 4.18 says sin has darkened our understanding. Our understanding is corrupted by sin. It tends toward foolishness and rebellion. It doesn't naturally align with God's Word. So to lean on our own understanding is to think and choose independent of God and thus in defiance of Him. So don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust is more than having positive feelings, isn't it? Oh, I I have these warm positive feelings that God is trustworthy. No, trust is about following, not feelings. We follow who we trust. Are you going to trust God or are you going to trust what you think? This is the decisive question in every thought, every desire, every word, every choice. Proverbs and all of Scripture declares God rules and reigns over every area of life. Will we follow what He says or will we follow our corrupt opinion? So verse 5 commands us to trust God entirely and exclusively. Verse 6 calls us to an unrestricted submission. In all your ways acknowledge Him, 
and He will make your paths straight. In all your ways, in every detail of life, there is no part of your life disconnected from your devotion to God. You don't have a God compartment that He's in and then these other compartments that He's not in and you get to control. No, God's in the worship compartment and He's in the work compartment. He's in the marriage compartment and the parenting compartment and the education compartment and the finances compartment and the hobbies and leisure time compartment. In fact, the grammar here emphasizes the intimacy of this. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Literally, know Him. In all your ways, know Him. That's far more than a mental acknowledgement of His existence. In every area of life, involve Him. In every area of life, relate with Him. Fellowship with Him. God, you get the final say in every area of my life. Not me. And this command comes with a promise. If you do that, He will make your paths straight. Yes, I like straight paths. Well, we often misunderstand this one. This is not a promise that you get clear, private guidance on every life decision. And this is not a promise that God will smooth every bump and every pothole on life's road. In Proverbs, the words straight and crooked most often have to deal with righteous and wicked character. So guess what? This is not a promise about tranquil circumstances. This is a promise of transformed character. God will make your character straight as you submit every area of life to Him. As we fill ourselves with His truth, as we grow in skill applying that to daily life, as we are skeptical of our own instincts and we submit every priority, every decision, every plan to Him, we get to enjoy greater peace while He's busy changing our character to look more like His Son, which, by the way, is His primary concern anyway. Even if we get the decision wrong, He overrides it to get us to the final destination, conformity to His Son. That's what living wisely under God's reign looks like. He reigns over our steps, our speech, our slips, and what seems like chance. And in responding wisely to His reign, we quit pretending we're in charge. We don't try to outsmart Him. We don't procrastinate. We don't worry. And we submit to His final say in every detail. Now, God's reign would be nothing but bad news for us. And a right response like this would be impossible from us. And a happy ending to the story would be impossible had God not intervened. The human race's rebellion left us with a mind and a will at war with God. And His sovereignty makes our rebellion futile. His justice demands nothing but judgment. But God's wisdom and God's love devised a plan that would satisfy His justice, that would turn rebels like us into obedient sons and daughters. 
Today, as we observe the Lord's Supper, we commemorate God's great work to save us. His Son offering His life of obedience to the Father as our representative. Jesus is the only one who ever lived out, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The only one who fully submitted every area and detail of life to His Father. And He did it for us. And then He offered His death in our place under the Father's wrath so that our sin could be paid, so that justice is satisfied, so that peace is now possible between God and us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In observing the Lord's Supper, we gratefully commemorate Christ's death. We joyfully anticipate His coming. And then Paul goes on calling us to carefully evaluate our observance of this supper. Do we understand the meaning of Christ's death for us? Are we trusting fully in His saving work as our only hope of salvation Be careful that we're not treating this flippantly, that we come and go through the motions while living in known willful disobedience against Him. And then come recognizing the family nature of this meal, that we're taking it in love and unity with Christ's body, the church. Now, since this is a celebration of communion with Christ, it is only for those who are trusting in Christ now. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this supper is not for you. But I would plead with you, I would urge you to seek Him now. He is eager to save you today. Don't procrastinate. And parents, you know the state of your children and their hearts better than anyone. We encourage you to be discerning about whether or not they take. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and after that, the music will play. Feel free to come up and to partake. And then when everyone has come, who's coming, we will stand and we will sing and again celebrate our Lord's work for us. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, there is part of us that reads the Proverbs with a heavy heart recognizing how far we fall short of the truth You have declared and of the commands that You have called us to. And God, we confess that before You. And yet, we also look in the words of Your Scriptures and we see Your Son, the living embodiment of Proverbs. Your wisdom living in perfect conformity to You. And God, we rejoice 
And He says He did that on our behalf. And we rejoice that He then, in His perfect life, offered Himself a sacrifice, not needing to die under wrath, and yet willing to suffer it in our place. Oh God, what love is there like Yours in all the universe? In all the highest thoughts of humanity, God, you stand alone in splendor, in holiness, and in love. And we come to worship you today to express our great gratitude for all that your Son did for us, to look forward to his victorious return. God, would you do the work through your Holy Spirit, causing us to live out these things that we have learned from your word today. And we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.